still in our body life study, and away we go. I have, you guys have been giving me some good feedback, so you're encouraging me. Does anybody need a handout before we get going too far? I've been uh, cranking through this at a snail's pace, so um, so I need uh, Chris. Can you help me with that? Oh, you don't have to. You don't have to come up here. We'll help you. So if you could just make sure folks have these. Uh, there's a lady in the in the back there. Um, <clears throat> that is. Let me see that, Chris. Hold that up. Just show me the front of it. Uh, does it say relation at the top? Oh, that's the right one. Okay. Everybody that needs one, just raise your hand. And uh, I don't know that Chris has enough. So, um, hey, Amy, can you go run a couple more copies of this? She's, yeah, I have this one, the last of the Mohicans. She's going to, I think she's going to run a copy. So, all right. <clears throat> Thank you, Aim. All right, so <clears throat> I'll quickly run through. Uh, if this is your first copy, I'll quickly run through so that it won't take long to fill in the blanks. We've had a lot of verses up there. But uh, as a whole, this is what we're covering. We're in, uh, under number three, relation. Next uh, week we'll get into identification, Lord willing. Uh, but tonight uh, we're dealing with uh, your relationship with God and others. Uh, that's the section that we're on. And we've already covered provision and protection, defining the local church. We've talked about function, your place in the local church body. And then uh, in this section, uh, the three things that we're looking at is our relation, our relation to God and others is spiritual, it is directional, and it is transformational. So we've covered uh, much of that already. Um, we talked about sonship. I'm going to bust through these verses. Um, we talked about uh, relationship to God the Son as a vertical relationship. We have uh, talked about get down to point three here. There's a lot of verses there. We didn't have a lot of fill in the blanks on all this, so we, you guys endured a lot of Bible verses. Okay, so last week we got together, and uh, this is kind of where we ended up, <clears throat> as we were talking about uh, relationship with the Word of God, uh, the Holy Spirit, and worship. Let me get back to my, yeah. We, were, we dealt with uh, prayer, uh, the purpose, patient, and powerful prayer life. We talked about praise, and that is really where we left off, was right here. So um, do you guys, I think you guys are all caught up, and if you need more uh, blanks, we can get those to you. So uh, anybody need any anything filled out to this point? All right, so under praise, we... we uh, <clears throat> Well, under prayer, we talked about purposeful, patient, and powerful prayer. And then last, as we ended up last week, we talked about just some practical things about uh, how we pray here at Heartland, uh, some things that you can do in regard to prayer. We did a lot of QA time. And then tonight, I want to talk to you about praise. And this is, when we think about worship, this is a lot more of what we think about. And in Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 20, the Bible encourages us to, it says here, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, uh, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So 
this is a, I got a testimony for y'all. So when I got saved, how many of you, let me ask you, how many of you grew up in church? I just kind of, okay, so really just a handful of us. So if you grew up in church, you grew up singing in public. And I know this is like a, not a big deal for most people, but for me, I grew up loving music. Like I love, I knew how to play that instrument called the radio. So I play the radio, right? And uh, I, I do really love music, but I had no formal, you know, training in any, any instruments or anything like that. Never sang in public. So, you know, when I can remember this, when I was a little boy, my grandfather, uh, Hedges, uh, took me to church. I was probably like nine or 10 years old. And man, he, we were up in the balcony at, uh, in Odessa at the Baptist church. And he was just singing from his, you know, his abdomen, just singing these hymns, these old hymns. And that was the only time I can remember being in church and actually the the fervor which he sang i'd never seen my grand we didn't sing in our family like out loud and so uh so i'd never seen anyone in my family on either side and mom if you're watching i'm sorry but i've never seen anybody singing i mean maybe we heard a lot of elvis right i heard a lot of other people singing a lot of music so we had, we were very musical people a lot of dancing seen a lot of people dancing a lot of people listening to music but not actually participating in singing and I'm not just talking about singing hymns. I'm just talking about singing anything out loud. And then to go to church, I'll never forget this. And watch. I remember just sitting there like watching my grandpa. I, like, I didn't know he could do that. I mean, he's up there in the balcony just singing away, full-throated, just singing. you know. And I tell you guys, that made a huge impact. I never like talked about it, but I can still remember it. And so Amy is coming by. If you still need a handout, put your hand in the air. Wave it like you just don't care, right? You're a child of the 80s. And so... So we're we're ready to go. All right. So <clears throat> I can still remember how impactful that was. And, and when it comes to our relationship with God, worship and personal worship is a big deal. So fast forward the tape. I I finally you know I, I get saved now. Um, I'm you know we're talking seven eight years later because I'm sixteen seventeen. Uh, and so <clears throat> and well I'm sixteen going on seventeen and I'm probably seventeen by this time. I'm at church the first time I go to. Uh, interestingly enough, I went to church two times before this this event, but I didn't sing. I just kind of went, and I just stood there, because I don't know if you all know what it's like, but if you've not been churched, and just be sensitive to this, if someone's next to you at church and they're just standing there going, what is going on? It is the weirdest thing in the world if you come out of the world and you get saved and you pop into church and you walk into this place and everybody is just, whoa, you know, whether they sing good or not, who cares, right? They're just singing, and it's it's an amazing thing. And uh, I can, I don't know if y'all, maybe it's just I'm a weirdo, but but I can still remember, like, it took me probably being in church four or five times before I finally opened my mouth and started actually singing. And it's like, it's like bands just unloosening, you know, as you finally kind of let go and just start with your your whole heart just singing. And, you know, the more you sing, the more liberated you get and the more your soul just starts to rejoice. Now, this sounds like charismatic stuff, I know. Uh, it, this, is not, this is definitely not analytical stuff, but it's, it's reality. There is something about, and you can see it in the Bible, something about praising, right? So Paul and Silas in Acts, they start singing, and, you know, and God chooses when they're singing in the midst of their persecution to rock the jailhouse, right? So there is something about praise because that's what that's what's going on in heaven, right? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Uh, I mean, uh, he is being exalted. 
And so uh, when it comes comes down to, to the, the Ephesians 5 verse that's on the screen, you know, there is a this isn't like optional. This isn't like, hey, if you feel like it, why don't you speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Right? This is this is actually a command. Is some people think, oh, we're in the New Testament, we don't have any commands. Well, I just showed you one, right? Paul's not asking; he's telling them. Well, because this is a this is a part of our relationship with God. So this is we're dealing with our relation. And so if this isn't working in your life or you haven't gotten there, I really encourage everybody to grow. Now you don't have to you don't have to sing you know, the way I want you to sing, just sing to the Lord. And in private, in public, I don't care. But uh, uh, but I don't know about you guys. For me, it was a huge breakthrough to, it's almost like getting baptized. Before I got baptized, I started singing. And it, it is like making a public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to go too far with this because you can be lost and sing him. So I don't want to get too spiritual here on that. But but I can tell you from a practical perspective in regard to your relationship with the Holy Ghost who's in you, there is something about singing that just uh, is victorious. Of course, if you've been here, any, whenever we come together and we sing, I know, I know many of us know that because we experience it. But uh, are there any other testimonies? Anybody else have? Am I the only one here that had that experience? Amy, I don't, you kind of, hang on a second. You never sang either before you came to church, did you? Out loud. Yeah, just sang out loud. To yourself, yeah. I don't think I even I don't think I even sang to myself, like in the shower. You know, some people sing in the shower. I didn't do I did not sing until I was saved and in church, and it was so weird for me to do that. So, Chris, I'm going to put you on the mic because nobody can hear if they if you're not on the mic, huh? Yeah, like hymns and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I have like kind of a similar, but I mean, so I was. Many of you may know, I mean, I was saved when I was incarcerated. Some of our, when I went to first one, uh, service, we had a good service. We had a, Baptist, a good Baptist service. And, you know, it, it was just weird. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't <laughs> I know. know how to feel. You're like, oh, uh, what am I doing? <laughs> so I remember, you know, I had never heard any of the old hymns. I didn't know. And, I, and there's still a lot of them that come up, and it's like, I've never heard that one. And then I go and I, I go check it out, and I listen to it. Um, but when I was in, I, I, I've always listened to music. I've always loved music. And, you know, I listen to, I, I listen to all kinds of, of genres. It doesn't matter. But I, I had started listening to Christian rap music when I was in. And then so I started going to the service, and it was like just a big difference of these old hymns. Uh, but it just showed me that it doesn't matter. To me, it doesn't matter what kind of music, and a lot of people get caught up on that. Um, but to me, it's the lyrics, and if your heart attitude is right, praising to the Lord. Um, and so, I don't know. And I had, I'll share this real quick. It was really cool. I had a cellmate uh, that he would only listen to old hymns, and he would listen to nothing else, no other kind of Christian music whatsoever. Um, and when, and so that, but before he got saved, his favorite band was ACDC. Mm, yeah, running with the devil. And, and <laughs> I, I said, you know, and, and so I'm listening to these other different kinds of music and, you know, music that I felt was bringing honor to God. And he would kind of give me a hard time about it. And I remember telling him, I said, 
I'm pretty young in my as a Christian, and I remember telling them, you know, what if you took the background music to Back in Black and you played the song Amazing Grace over it? I said, what, what would that change? You know, I said, you're still, the lyrics, you're still praising God. So it kind of changed his heart a little bit on it, and he kind of accepted how I felt too, so. Yeah, it can be when you get down the road. It can, that is a divisive in churches. Uh, anybody else have a testimony about praise and how? I, I mean, is I don't know about y'all. It may not be as big a deal to y'all, but oh, up in the booth, we got one. Yeah. Do you need us to bring the mic up? Yeah. No, that's good. It was actually um, I was kind of always rejecting old traditional music. Mm. It was a church that um, I eventually got saved in. They had contemporary praise that was a little bit more rock. And that's what said, well, they could rock it out. I can just come here. And that's what eventually, that's that's what turned my heart from not you know, being cynical about the church, just going forward. The style? The style of the music, saying, hey, you can do this too. This is how we do it. And it opened my heart. Yeah, it's it's uh, it is amazing. This people do get tripped up on style. I I got now. I just just since we're talking about it, I will let you know. When I fell in love with the hymns, I I came from like, and I'm an old guy now, so I'm an old fogey. But I was I was like Van Halen, and uh, I didn't like ACDC because when I came up, it just vexed my soul. Not because I didn't like my flesh loves ACDC. They they had the best riffs in the world, but. But I was listening to lyrics, and, and I really didn't want to go to hell, and I really wasn't excited about that, so, even when I was lost. So, you know, I, I kind of had some convictions before I was even saved about, you know, and it was, it was you know, again, I said Van Halen. It was literally me, you know, one hand I'm singing uh, Victory in Jesus, you know, whatever, at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, you know, whatever hymn of the day was going, and then the next thing I'm like singing running with the devil and there's this conflict because i don't know about y'all but i had like a soundtrack especially when i was lost i had to have a soundtrack for my life now i don't have to have that now that i'm saved it's totally different uh i listened to the word of god and i I mean i literally you know i'm in the word i listen to what god's telling me through the word and i do sing songs all day long and i have songs in my heart and i'm sure you do too but my you know many of us especially if you're inclined to that um, you know, you 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 do kind of it affects the thing about music is it is it bypasses your mind and affects your emotion, and so uh, people do get caught up in style. My point for this is not to get into stylistic issues. Uh, I've seen I've seen extremes on both sides. I just kind of like raise raise a good example. I like that testimony. I remember when we we changed at, at uh, when I was at KCBT, changed over from solely. Uh, hymns to you know a more con- had both but mainly contemporary it's just crazy how people get been out around the axle about praising god first of all you're singing to god that's the bottom line so if it brings glory to god you're bringing glory to god you know and not everybody has to like it so yes ma'am uh let me get the mic is the mic up there let's uh run the mic if you can get that jesse that'd be great <clears throat> My thing is that I don't particularly, I don't know why, but don't like this. It's not that I don't like it, but I always cry. Mm-hmm. So when you said that about the emotion, it's like no matter what, I'm 
like sometimes I just can't. I it's just cry and cry and cry, and I don't even know why. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's bypassing to... your intellect, and it's it's strumming the heart. It's yeah, and it uh, it is emotional. Um, it might be what's exactly what you need, though. <laughs> so yeah, right behind you. Mine's kind of the opposite of yours. Um, and Aaron's mom would sing constantly. Oh, neat. Like, so kind of grow up singing constantly. And I'm sure I drive everybody nuts because in my car it's like <laughs> a personalized concert. But when Oliver was a baby and I was newly saved, um, there was a Christian Stanfield song that I would sing to him to put him to sleep. Um, and his father's lost. But he had always told me, he's like, that's Oliver will always remember that song. Like, um, and I would just sing it, not even thinking about it, until like one day when it finally, like the words started hitting, and then it, then it has the emotional effect, like Laura was talking about, and it's mm. just that overwhelming, and you're like, oh my gracious. Whereas you know, now like my default song is, um, my God is greater, my God is higher, like that's my default song. Whereas like my old default song was some Usher song, like, so <laughs> oh, like, that's funny. not, <laughs> not the same anymore, but. Just yeah. you can whether or not you're used to singing or not, it just it hits different. Yeah, and you don't have to be a singer to to have a song in your heart for sure. I sing a lot in you know in my heart without actually verbalizing it. So, and uh, Amen, that's a good word. And there was the comment about crying when we praise, mm-hmm. and some people feel the same thing when they're praying. You know, mm-hmm. they'll cry. You know, yeah. with the emotion, and I. I used to do that, and um, I really, uh, I really feel like the Lord helped me understand that it's that intimacy with Him that I might not have been real comfortable with. It was a new feeling, um, and I didn't, I'm not there anymore. But I think it was just this intimacy in our heart with the fellowship in and our in praise and in our yes. Yeah. Uh, and in our prayer uh, that we just we don't know how to handle. Yeah, it's overwhelming. Men, awesome. Yeah. Truly awesome to be in God's presence, and there's nothing wrong with that. That to, would to God we're we're impressed with God always. So, Amen. No, that's good. Um, that's actually you know. So, so I don't have a. I'm not going to tarry on this point. Actually, I only got one more verse, um, but I just would encourage all of us, you know, to consider that and to participate in it um if you're like i was and just to let you know it's cool if you're like freaked out about it and you don't understand why people are so crazy about singing and you walk into a room and i kind of feel awkward talking about it in front of y'all because i can tell you guys are all like i'm the odd man out but when i got saved it was weird for me to walk into a church and start singing out loud um but i tell you it was just liberating and i've never turned back uh, and I'm so thankful. <laughs> I tell you, it was still it t- petrified. There's been a few times when we started the church, I had to lead the praise. That is just, I'm totally out of my element there, not wanting to do that. And then uh, you guys have probably been here a time or two when I've had to do it here. That is totally not, you know, my thing. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a pastor, you should be willing, and even if you don't sing well, able to lead the praise. Because ultimately, that's what we're really doing is we're going to the Lord and we're praising him with our lives. And that should also be resonating from our lips, even if it doesn't sound as good as maybe Ron. But uh, we should all still be willing to, to, to praise the Lord and make a joyful noise. 
Um, another verse that I just want to mention here is Colossians. And this isn't, I, I wasn't meaning to camp out here too much, but it is a good point when we're talking about our relationship to the Holy Spirit because it's internal and it's, it's, uh, it's about worship. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And you know that word grace, um, you know, that's what, you know, you can get caught up in people's styles and whatever. At the end of the day, uh, that's you need to make sure you have grace in your heart. And um, I like what Chris was saying, too. One of the things I would encourage us all to consider is lyrics. Uh, I'm, I'm a lyric. I'm kind of, there's songs we sing here that I wish we would take out, actually, because I don't like some of the lyrics. And um, and so, there, so I, I'm, I'm a, I don't police everyone else's lyrics because I know they may not see or hear what I'm hearing. But uh, but that's what's important to me. And by the way, some people are like, oh, everything contemporary doesn't have good lyrics. That's just not true. And not everything ancient has good lyrics either, right? So the same people that get bent out of shape about contemporary, you know, music will sit there and sing, uh, you know, uh, what is it? What, what the, the the Battle Hymn of the Republic, like it's a hymn, you know. And just because it says marching, treading on the grapes of wrath, that doesn't mean it's dispensationally correct. You know, so you do have to have a balance between, uh, you know, you have to have some grace in your heart when it comes to this matter. And uh, and so, because uh, that's ultimately what it's about. It's it's not stylistic, it's it's content. And I will tell you, there are some rappers, you mentioned rap, that are outstanding uh, lyricists. Some I've, Even Toby Mack, who doesn't, who's not even considered a, a, in some circles, even Christian songs, because he's an entertainer more than a than a, a worship leader. He's got some more, some of his lyrics are better than what you're going to hear in some of the worship songs. So I'm like, whatever. Uh, is it scripture? You know, is it is it biblical, and does it glorify God? Okay. So uh, and is it ministering to your heart? So Psalms uh, 149 verse six says, "Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, and a sharp two edged sword in their hand." So the Bible is important now. We're not called to carry a literal sharp two-edged sword, but we do have the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, Hebrews 4.12. This is a sharp two-edged sword, right? And it pierces and divides, and it cuts to the heart, spiritually speaking. And so uh, really that's what it boils down to is we need to have the high praises of God in our heart, uh, in our mouth, I'm sorry, and a sharp two-edged sword in our hand. And we've got that in the Word of God. Okay, so let's move on to the next point. So relationship to people... Uh, the people of God's important. So, um, <clears throat> here we go. I think the PowerPoint is messed up uh, because. Oh wait, no, it's not. It's my outline in your hand. There's a third point that's not on there. So if you're taking notes, I noticed this earlier when I was prepping. I missed the whole point. It would be under praise. The third one is putting off the old man. Somehow it didn't make it to your handout. I don't know how. That's not. Uh, that's my fault. So we're going to back up. And now that I see that, you're missing several passages. So you're going to have to do this old school. and Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. You have that? It's just not on there. Yeah, okay. So let's just be suspended on the on the on the video for just a moment. And uh there we go. Watch that. There's not a problem in the booth. That's me. I just blinked that out. I got that. I got the power. So turn to Romans 13. Then you've got that. Do you you don't have the verse in there, do you? Just the reference. Okay. Just the reference. 
So putting, putting off the old man, Romans 13, 11 through 14. So you do have that in your handout. Well, that's good. It's just not on the PowerPoint. So we're still talking about these priorities for relational health with the Spirit of God. And, and ultimately, we're talking about our relationship to, you know, how we interact with the Spirit. Now, this is, this is a big deal. This is super important, even though it's not on your screen. Romans 13, verse 11, it says, And that knowing that the time, that it is a high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. So there's an urgency. Uh, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, uh, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I often misquote that and say, make no provision, but... It's make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Notice it doesn't say the lust thereof, it's lusts thereof. Our, our flesh likes to lust after many things, doesn't it? All right, so let's just park the car for just a moment on this passage that's not on your screen. And, uh, and I just would point out in verse 11, it says that we're to know what time it is, right? Knowing the time. What time is it, Paul says? Well, now it's high time to wake out of sleep. So he wants us to be awake right now. Be vigilant, right? Be sober, uh, be awake, because our salvation is nearer than when we believed. And that's in multiple ways. Obviously, the return of the Lord is nearer. Jesus is, his name is, means salvation. So the return of Jesus is nearer than when we believe, but also you're one day closer to your exit, right? So you only got so many t- days on the clock from the point of your salvation to the point of your death or the rapture. You only have so many days. Uh, if the rapture doesn't come, you're going to die uh, because we got to shed this carcass to get a new one. So, so you know, you've only got so much time. So he's like, hey, be cognizant that your life is a hand breath, uh, as, as Moses said, right? That our days are, our life is a vapor. So be aware of what time it is. And, it's, and then because of the brevity of life, I say this at every funeral, right? We got we to gotta, we gotta be about the business today of doing what God wants us to do. <clears throat> and what will really sabotage that is not being... Uh, is, is getting caught up in the night, right? He says that, that we're not children of the night, we're children of the day. And of course, there's a lot that we could talk about in Bible study because Jesus Christ is the son of righteousness, right? He is going to come back on that day, the day of the Lord, the second coming. We are children of that day. We return with him, Revelation chapter 19. There's just a lot to that. We are children of the day. We are children of the light. We are children of Jesus, of, well, of the Father, but through Jesus Christ. So all of that is, is, is you know, Part of us putting understanding that helps us put off the old man and uh, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So, practically speaking, he says, "Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light." So there is, we have to actively be engaged uh, if we don't want to quench the spirit of God and grieve the spirit of God. We have to actively engage in casting off the works, uh, the works of darkness. Now, this, by the way, is not a this isn't some. This is right in Romans, Romans 13. We're dealing with, you know, doctrine for the church, um, casting off uh, the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of life. So taking something off and putting something on. Now I think most of us know in Ephesians chapter six that's where we find the whole armor 
of God, right? So that's from, that's from head to toe. Uh, that's not in your notes, but uh, I think most of us are familiar with Ephesians chapter 6 and verse... Um, where does that start at? Yeah, 11. Put on the whole armor of God. So if you're wondering what that, that armor of light looks like, that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil... Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Right? If you don't want the world to influence you, verse 13, uh, Ephesians 6:13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. And he mentions it twice, verse 11 and verse 13, uh, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And then he lists it, having your Loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, so you're covered in your in your hips, in your loins. You have the uh, blessed breastplate of right, righteousness. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then, of course, the head. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which we've already mentioned, which is the word of God. And then he gets into praying, right? Our communication has to be there. Uh, praying always with all prayer and supplication. We talked about that last week in the Spirit and watching there too with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So uh, we have to be intentional about putting on this armor of light. And, uh, and so let us, and so really what that really means is, is having the words of God dwelling in us richly and fortifying our mind, our heart. Uh, walking by faith, knowing the sword, having the sword in our hand, having it at the ready, and being willing to, uh, you know, use and submit to the Word of God ourselves. So just in case you're wondering, okay, what does that really look like practically, Brian? That's pretty metaphorical. Well, Paul's like, he's not going to leave us any guessing in verse 13 of Romans chapter uh, 13. Um, so you would, you might know that 13 deals with rebellion, and then verse 13 He's like, hey, this is what I need you to do. Walk on, let us walk honestly as in the day, right? This is how I need you to walk in honesty. So don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to everybody else. Not in rioting, right? Walk as though Jesus is right there with you because he is. Not in rioting. We've seen a lot of rioting lately, haven't we? Right? All over America last year, last few years, just rioting, rioting, rioting. That's not a cool thing. I don't care what the cause is. It's just not cool, Um in Ephesus, remember, they were rioting, and, and even the lost people were like, hey, guys, can you just settle down? We're going to get in trouble for this. Why? Powers of be, which is Romans 13, they don't like rioting either, right? It, it makes them scared. Not, not in rioting and drunkenness. Okay, I think we know what drunkenness is. <clears throat> not in chambering. Somebody, what is chambering? Anybody know what that is? Is that like, no, that's not what it is. That is chambering, but that's a different type of chambering. What is chambering? an old English type of word. It's really not that hard to when you think about it. When you think about a chamber, uh, you think about a prison chamber maybe, but it's also a place where uh, your bedroom might be a chamber, right? And so when it says chambering, that's a, that's a polite English way, uh, old English way of saying don't be sleeping around. We say sleeping around, right? That's, that's the kind of the common vernacular today. So don't be, you know, don't be bedding down with people. Don't be, don't be found in someone else's bedroom, cohabiting, fornicating, et cetera, et cetera, outside of wedlock. And wantonness, uh, not in strife and envying. I, I know we live in a really peaceful society. There's no strife. I mean, I'm like, I don't know if it's just because I'm a bad seed or what, but I, 
you get these little things like on the Facebook, they send you these. I just went by one yesterday. I'm like, I don't want to watch people get in fights, high school kids getting in fights. What is this about? I mean, it's just disgusting. It's like, man, I just want to see a stop put to all that stuff. But I guess that's entertainment today, you know, watching people go Dukesville out in the street. I'm like, man, I don't want to see that. I, I hate that stuff, you know. And so, uh, but that's the world we live in. That's the opposite of what Christians are about. Now, that doesn't mean it, you know, as much as life, then you live peaceably with all men. That doesn't mean a man can't defend himself, blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that's not the kind of lifestyle a Christian is into. Now, that's different from Christian MMA. But uh, I, I, do, I do appreciate some of that. But because those are high skill, those are skilled athletes, there's rules of engagement. I'm not talking about just brawling, you know. That's just crazy. And it's not, it's not godly, that's for sure. And so he's saying, hey, um, don't make provision for the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make provision for the flesh. Fulfill the lust thereof. Second Peter uh, chapter uh, 2, and verse 18 talks about uh, wantonness. Uh, it's not in our notes either, but that's a good cross-reference as well. <clears throat> Let me get over there. If you get it before I do. Go ahead and shout it out. There we go. Second Peter 2, what did I say, 18? Um, says, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. And so, uh, you know, much wantonness, that's the, this is a, something that's prohibited. That'll fight against the spirit if we're given over to our passion, our lusts, as it says there at the end of verse 14. Um, it'll take people that were cleaned up and get them dirty again, right? We don't need that in our life. And so <clears throat> we're not to make provision, right, supplying the flesh or an opportunity. And so uh, that doesn't mean you can't have fun, but you just need to, you know, when you have idle time, don't let it be the devil's playground. So when you do have idle time, make sure it's recreational, right? Recreation means recreate. Right, that's what that's what that's about. You need to be productive and let God create. And so, think on things that are good, lovely. If there be any virtue, there any praise. Think on those things. Ephesians four twenty one, which is on your sheet but not up on the screen, says, "If so be that you have heard of Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the, the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind." So I know we have a lot of friends that are in a God's super sovereignty, but at the end of the day, you have a decision, and I have a decision to make. We decide if we are going to uh, put on uh, the um, the conversation, the lifestyle of the old man, or we are going, and it's deceitful lusts, or we're going to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So our option then is to let our mind be renewed. How do we renew our mind? Yeah, through the Word of God. Colossians 3.8 says, but now you also put off these. So, oh, by the way, if you want to know what this looks like, Colossians 3.8. Um, you say, well, how do I know if I'm putting off the old man? Well, Colossians 3.8 through 10. But now you also put off all these. This is what it looks like. This is what you're putting off. If you're going to put on Christ, this is what you're going to put off. This is what you're going to replace it with. This is what's going off, getting put off. All these. Anger, Colossians 3.8. Anger, how's your anger? Are you an angry young man? You know, Elvis sang about that. He's going to grow up to be an angry young man someday. And so, um, <clears throat> why? Well, because he hasn't put off his old flesh. He needs to have a new man, Christ Jesus. 
right? He needs a new mind. So you have to put off the old man. Anger, wrath, you got to even the score. You got to get you got to get your pound of flesh as we like to say. What is that? That's wrath. Uh what about malice? Blasphemy? Anybody, you know, you, you you're asking God to damn everything all the time or not even asking him, commanding him to do it? That's blasphemous. Uh filthy communication out of your mouth. That's pretty generic, isn't it? There's a lot of filthy communication. You know, in one place, Paul says foolish jesting, which is not convenient, right? So foolish jesting out of your mouth, you know. Uh, he doesn't say foolish jesting. He says foolish or filthy communication out of your mouth. I'm, I'm conflating two verses. And then one of the things that he says in verse 9 is lie not one to another. So this gets back to being honest, being honest with ourselves, being honest with others, uh, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. So ultimately, when we put off the old man... We're going from a lifestyle of lies to a lifestyle of honesty. Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So we're walking in truth and not walking in lies. When we walk in lies, you know who we're lying to the most? Ourselves. That's right. It's us. We lie to ourselves, and we deceive ourselves. And so, uh, and then he says, having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So now you can't do you can't put off the old man if you're not saved, right? You can't you, you're not even in the game. This is only for Christians. These verses I've just read are only for people who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. If you are not saved, all you can be is angry. I mean, you can kind of you can you know you can try to get by, but at the end of the day, you're gonna you're gonna have issues with anger, with wrath, with malice, with blasphemy, with filthy communication out of your mouth. That's what lost people do. That's just how they are. And, and they're lying to themselves. And so, I'm just saying. It's really sad, though, when people that are lost have more character than people who are saved. So it's really imperative for us Christians not to grieve the Holy Spirit because what He wants to do is get the light out. And that means we've got to be intentional about renewing our mind and being sincere in our walk and being honest about areas that we need to yield to Him. And we got to, it's not just putting things off. That's one of the things that, like in a Baptist church, uh, well, not so much a Baptist church, but in any church that's legalistic, what you can get into is all the things you need to put off. But there's no emphasis on what you need to put on, right? And it needs to be equal or more emphasis on what you need to put on, right? Love, joy, peace, and all the fruit of the Spirit comes through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, through relationship with God, through some of these things that we're talking about, praying, praising, and then putting the Word of God in us, right? Those are, those are what we need to be doing to help the Spirit of God not be grieved and quenched because we have failed to put off the former conversation. And it is a former conversation. It's our old lifestyle. Like my flesh thinks that it's still alive, but the Bible says I need to reckon it as dead. It's all, my flesh thinks it's alive, but biblically, according to Romans, it's dead. So i got to wake up and say, hey, flesh, you're a dead man walking. I'm, I'm driving this car because this Bible is going to tell us what to do today. And my flesh says, uh-uh, I'm hungry. I want bacon and eggs, and I want it now. And I'm like, well, you can wait till I'm done reading the Bible. You know? So you just got to tell your flesh what you're going to do. Because you can. You can tell your flesh what to do. Don't, don't, the world will tell you, oh, no, you're a victim to your flesh. Now, that's the first lie. You're, no, you're not. I, I love sugar, but I don't have to eat it. You know, I choose to eat it. It's my decision, and I just need to tell my flesh, no! All right, so let's, now we're back on track. Any questions or comments on all that?
We're all experts at putting off the old man and putting on the new and the armor of light. Okay, that'll help. That'll help us, and that's really a lifelong decision that we make. Okay, so let's talk about point number four, relation to the people of God, which is as appropriate as we're getting ready for the Lord's Supper. Um, that regard, requires horizontal fellowship. And, and when we're talking about relation, that's ultimately where we're driving to. But if you, as we've already established, if you don't have a proper relationship with God, then you're all the relationships on the horizontal plane down here, if it's not right vertically, you're going to have issues down here horizontally, right? And that's what often happens. And so having a vertical relationship with God the Father will certainly impact all of our horizontal relationships. Loving God doesn't mean the world will love you. In fact, loving God will ensure the world will hate you. Well, then what are you doing, Brian? I mean, I thought I came here so everybody would love me. Sorry. Really, it's about do we love God? You don't get this in many churches. I will tell you that. Not in America anyway. But, like, this is important to know. Like, if you were born again today in Orissa, let's say, you kind of got to know this. Because in most cultures, you know, to get saved means you will automatically have enemies. And they will be in your own house. Your Hindu daddy's going to chase you down. And you got to go run into the forest to live, right? And so that happens, like, right now. It's happening right now in places in Asia and, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, and so that's that's been the Christian life for the last, you know, couple thousand years in many cases. But in America, we're just kind of like, oh no, you know, it's, the world isn't that bad. No, it is. They hated Jesus, they'll hate you. So, so I, I'm going to clean this up, but just bear with me for a moment. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, it does say if. It doesn't mean the world will hate you, you know, just don't, so don't be like that paranoid tinfoil hat person, you know, it's like, oh, you know, worried about the world hating you, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I'm not, don't be scared of the world, because Jesus has already died for the world. You, it, hey, you've got the gospel. You're going to heaven. You know, none to be scared of. Uh, so if the world hates you, just, you know, know that it hated me before it hated you. So just, you're, you're right on track. Like if you, if you put off the old, and you put on the new, and you're sincere, and you love God, and you love people, and and yet you still get people that are mad at you. You know, I remember when I was just a baby young Christian, I'm out up at Pink Floyd concert and handing out tracts with just the joy of Jesus in my heart, you know. And, and I knew all those songs, you know, they're playing back there, boom, boom, you know. And it's just going, and I'm out there handing out all the... Uh, I, I like when I talk about this story because there's people in our church that were actually at that concert. And uh, they're like, oh, I remember the people handing out tracks. You were there. I was like, that was me. So anyway, so I was out there handing out tracks. But it was weird to see people my own age and close to, you know, coming out of the burbs to go see Pink Floyd and like crumpling up the tracks and throwing them at me or spitting like they're demon possessed, you know. And then it's like, whoa, you know, Jesus is like, hey, don't sweat it, Brian. It's okay. And then this, gnar- I'll never forget this, this gnarly looking biker dude, this co- concert's underway. And I've shared this story, so forgive me if you heard it before, but it made a huge impact on my life. Concert's underway now, it's just a few people straggling in, this dude, this biker, biker guy walks in. I mean, he is the real McCoy, and I am scared to death to actually give him a track. But I walk up to him, you know, in the boldness of Christ, and I say, sir, can I give you a track? Best guy I had all night. Stopped, looked me in the eye, talked to me, sincerely thanked me. Scariest guy I'd looked at all night. Nicest, most genuine person. You can't judge a book by its cover. And uh, I was like, wow, that was pleasant. 
the people that look like me that were so hateful. What's up with that? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was like, man, I, I really learned something. So if the world hates you, you know, just no, understand it hated me before I hated you. You know, you're, you're not treading any new ground. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But if you're not of the world, well, I've chosen you out of the world. So be encouraged. Therefore, the world hateth you. Remember that, okay, so what do you got to do to make the world hate you? Nothing. Just love God and love people. Uh, remember the word, the word that I said unto you, that the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Not everybody's going to reject Christ. And of course, I bet, I bet we could have testimony time in here. Some of us have been on both sides of this, right? So I've been on the side of the devil, where I've hated Christians, persecuted not persecuted, maybe that's a strong word, but I've done things intentionally because I'm convicted ultimately and I don't like that goody two-shoes, teetotaler, whatever, you know, blah, 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 Christian, you know, stuff. And so don't get scared, guys. God can take those people and turn them over and get them saved, make them into preachers, right? So just Jesus is big. You know, I've been on both sides of this thing. I know what it's like to despise Christians. I know what it's like to be a Christian and be despised. And you know what? I'm glad I'm riding with Jesus. And, uh, and so I hope you are too. So don't sweat it. We are not commanded to uh, or encouraged to love the world. That's the main thing I need to get across with this. Jesus doesn't say, you know, well, man, let's just make it easier on everybody and just, you know, just love the world. Just put up with everything. No. Now, we don't have to do it with hate, you know, but, I mean, there's some things we just have to say no. You know, Nancy Reagan said, just say no to drugs. Well, that's cool. We'll say no to perversion. We'll say no to a lot of things. Why? Because we love God. But, but we, we're not to love the world, nor the things in the world. The Father has already done that for us. He loved the world when he gave his only begotten son in John three sixteen. So our job is to love God and his word, and, and that will make us a light to the world. So the opinion of the world no longer matters to us because we're dead, right? Uh, and so... We, we, we are no longer in a situation where the, what the world thinks matters. The opinion of the world no longer matters to us because we have the loving affirmation of our Father in heaven. You have a new mind. You're really not worried about what the world thinks because you know what God thinks. We now love without qualification <clears throat> because we have been loved unconditionally. Let me say that twice. So we now love <clears throat> without qualification because we have been loved unconditionally. What, that, what I'm saying is we no longer need the affirmation of the world. So you know how like it is when you're junior high and high school, you're always worried about fitting in and how everybody, you know, well, once you get saved, it's just you got the affirmation of God. You got the love of God. And I think all of us probably in some way or another have, have, have experienced that. Um, <clears throat> we were talking in our devotion at volleyball last Friday night about kind of how hard it is sometimes to live out your faith at work, right? It's not always easy. But when you know you have the love and affirmation of the Father, you really aren't trying to get the approval of everybody else. You may yield to them in different ways because you love them in a sincerity and truth. You want them to know Christ, but you're not seeking their approval in the sense of you're getting your identity from, from their approval. No, you've already got your identity. It's in Christ. It's in the Father. By the way, that's our next section, next, uh, next section in this study. So I'll save some of that. But it's important that we understand that because point A, loving people without qualification is how we have good horizontal fellowship loving people without qualification now that that could be scary but loving people without qualification doesn't mean we love without distinction 
All right? So sometimes people, well, you just, you know, you should accept everything because you love God. Well, the Father loves everybody, and he gave his son. I'm kind of, i got to qualify my love a little bit. It, let me put it this way. There's some distinction, right? Loving people without qualification doesn't mean we love without distinction. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you're asking. You're asking good questions. So we love our brothers and sisters in Christ differently than we do our fellow man who, who are lost and dying and going to hell. Do we not? Right? We have a different responsibility. I have a different responsibility to the body of Christ than I do to the lost world. And I'm zealous for the lost world because of G- the price Jesus paid for the world is so high. I feel inclined and motivated to share the good news of Christ with them. So they, Because some, not all, will hate. Some will receive it. Right? He said that in John 15. Not everybody's going to reject it. Right? I received it eventually. All you all that are saved received it. So, so he loved the world without qualification. Not just some of the world. He loved the whole world. He paid the price for the whole world. They'll answer if they don't receive the gospel, but they, he, he, he has paved the way for anybody who will receive the good news, who will receive his son. All right, so, so, uh, one, <clears throat> so one, we love, the, I'm sorry. I think I missed, let me look at my glasses here. Okay, so we love the, we love the, the those in the body of Christ in the bounds of biblical charity as a member of the body, uh, and the other somebody who's not saved yet we love as a soul that's lost in need of rescuing before it perishes. So we have a distinction in how we love, right? One is in the in the in the bounds of the biblical charity to the body. The other is someone who's lost in need of rescuing it before they die, like they sink, right? And so. <clears throat> they're in a, it's a rescue mission. And so we uh, we conflate or confuse oftentimes these these types of uh, distinctions, and then we compromise our mission. And the mission to the saved is to <clears throat> disciple, and the mission to the lost is to preach the gospel. And that is the distinction. So the lost person needs to hear the gospel. That doesn't mean we might not take them through some basic discipleship principles, because it all... The beginning of discipleship is repentance, right? And so that's salvation. But at the end of the day, our job for saved people is in a discipling relationship, taking us deeper in our walk with God. But when it comes to the lost, we're not worried about schooling them on putting off all these because it doesn't matter. Lost people are lost. You know what dogs do? Dogs do what dogs do, right? And so dogs are lost. They don't know any different. Dogs are going to they're gonna mate with other dogs indiscriminately. Dogs are, are going to... They're going to have bad breath, and the dogs are going to poop wherever they want to poop. I mean, dogs are just dogs. You can't expect lost people to be saved. Lost people are lost people. What they need is to be saved. It, doesn't, it does us no good to reform their behavior if their soul hasn't been redeemed, right? They have to be transformed from the inside out. We're not here to legislate morality, right? We're here to preach the gospel because it frees them, and then they can become a disciple, and then they can choose to follow God. There's a big difference. And it's a love relationship. So the second point, loving people without qualification doesn't mean we love without discretion, right? So it doesn't mean we love without distinction. That was point one. But it also doesn't mean we love without discretion. Sorry, I'm... <clears throat> oh, I got ahead of myself. So <clears throat> Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5.1 over, 
a matter that was so grievous that he had to quarantine the body from a serial sinner who professed Christ, <clears throat> yet would not repent of open fornication and sexual perversion with his mother, uh, stepmom. So Paul was not counseling discipline as a show of hatred, but a show of love for the soul caught in iniquity. So the church body, uh, the testimony of Christ to the lost world and the Lord Jesus Christ himself was what Paul was concerned about. And he loved that man enough to say, hey, look, you can't be here if you're going to live like that. Just because we love unconditionally doesn't mean we embrace sin willingly. And I'm, I'm accused of that occasionally. Well, Brian, if you really loved him, you just let... No, if I really loved him, I would set up a few boundaries because they're saved and they should know better. And I'm commanded to do that for the sake of everybody. And so <clears throat> it doesn't mean you just love without discretion. You've got to have wisdom in how you love. So I think... Yeah, I'm I'm already past that. Man, I'm way past that. That's what, you guys got all that? Okay, here I am. So following people with qualification, that's where we are now. So loving people and following people, two different things, but it all has to do with horizontal relationships. So we should love one another. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper Sunday, and we love one another. The Lord's Supper is the time when we bring people in. It's also the time when we... Uh, every so often we have to say sorry, but this is where we can no longer fellowship until someone repents, praying that they repent so that they can be reconciled. Every so often that happens. So that deals with the the uh, loving people without qualification, yet uh, loving people with without qualification doesn't mean we love without distinction or discretion. Let me pause before I jump into point B. Does that make sense, or does that, does that cause anyone to have any questions or heartburn? Because it kind of sounds like I'm I'm, I'm uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Uh, like I'm contradicting myself. Okay, so if you guys, if that makes sense to y'all, I'm going to keep moving. So, following people with qualification is also important, right? Because God wants us to to follow people. Paul sets the example of following people with qualification uh, in First Corinthians four sixteen. He says, "Wherefore I beseech you, <clears throat> be followers of me." Uh, you know, he's very clear about that. He wants us to follow him. In verse, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Be followers of me, even as I uh, also am of Christ. So there's some qualification there. He's like, hey, you need to, I am the apostle of the Gentiles, and you do need to follow me, but in Philippians, or 1 Corinthians 11, 1, you follow me as I follow Christ, which implies if I'm not following Christ, then don't follow me. Right? So there's some qualification there. And then in Philippians 3, 17, Paul says, Brethren, be uh, followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So he's setting a pattern of of godliness and a lifestyle and a character quality that needs to be followed. And it's with qualification, right? As I follow Christ, uh, and he says, mark those that, that walk like we do. Uh, so uh, the opposite of Aerosmith walk this way. This is a biblical walk this way, and 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 talk this way, right? And be like be like Christ. That's what he's talking about. Okay, so there are some in the body you need not to follow because they have a track record of carnality. So there's these, he says, and interesting in Philippians, he says, now mark those. Have you ever noticed that? There's godly people in, the, in, in this body. We don't need to name names, but there's certain people they are just godly people. You mark them. Wow, they're just godly people. And you, you note them. You know, man, I, I wanna, when I grow up, I want to be like them. You know, I want to I want to love like that. I'll talk about some that have gone like I want to love like Walt Cundiff, right? 
a guy who just visited everybody, encouraged everybody. Man, you just, there's some people you just mark. Like, wow, that's a godly man. Um, and we could go down the list. Uh, there's, I don't want to offend anybody by missing people, but there's just a lot of godly people, praise the Lord, in our church that you want to mark. But then there's people, and we've had to do these from time to time. Paul says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. I'm not going to name names. We had a fellow slinking around here a few years ago who subvers, you know, would go around privately and talk about dispensational theology. And he'd go from place to place. Now, you know who he never talked to about dispensational theology? Me. Or Pastor Randy. All right, as far as I know, any of the pastors. But I kept hearing these little conversations that were going on. And you know, another, he would never come and sit here in this room on Sunday morning. Interesting. But anyway, and so you kind of mark them. Now, I don't necessarily come out. This is all water under the bridge now, so I can talk about it because it's past tense. But, um, you know, there are some people like that, like in, privately in the pastor meeting. I said, hey, guys, we got to keep an eye on this. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. This is your brother is just my best, best friend in the world when I talk to him. But then I hear behind the scenes, he's always saying, hey, you know what? I don't know about what they're teaching about this. You don't know what they're teaching about that. Hmm, that reminds me of a serpent. So you got to watch those, mark those. Uh, and that's exactly, you're causing divisions and offenses contrary. We're not talking about preferences. Contrary to the teaching, the doctrine, which you have learned. If you have a, if there's a legitimate point, I'll put it on. If we want to talk about hyper-dispensationalism, I'll be happy to get out the Bible and we'll walk through uh, Acts and Romans and go through First, Second Peter and Hebrews and we'll talk all about all of that and we'll, I'd be happy to discuss that if you want to put it on the table or even come to a Bible study and hey why do you teach this and I think that okay that's fine it's a free country we can all think freely but don't go around subversively trying to undermine what is clearly taught in, in a, a, disp- a clear dispensational view of the Bible that's uh, that's baloney so. For they that have such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Who are they really looking for? The simple. People who don't know any better. And of course, fortunately in our church, a lot of people know better. That's how come I knew about it, because they could tell what was up. I said, hey, did you, what? More than one person. I'm like, yeah. And anyway, those things go on. So God takes care of that. Um. But there are certain people that had to be marked because of that. We had a, anyway, I won't get into too many examples, but that happens from time to time. I'll just leave it at that. So there's going to be some who will seek to draw disciples away for themselves and privily bring in damnable heresies. Uh, and if you see them, say something and do not follow them. You know, that's the main thing. Um, we have, we've had, you know, several of those over the years. They're typically friendly. They're helpful. They're usually gregarious types. But you'll notice in secret they'll undermine, um, you know, the teaching of the Word of God. And usually pastoral authority and attempt to uh, draw away disciples and or women after themselves and usually for personal gain. And, and by the way, I just got to say this too. If, if, if I come up and warn you, please listen. Because I'm not, I don't usually do that. I'm like pretty tight-lipped about stuff I see like that. But if I see it enough that I'm like, hey, don't do business with this person. 
I'm not just telling you that because I'm a gossiper. I'm doing that because I'm really seriously concerned about you getting in trouble because that does happen from time to time. And so you got to be, be careful. If one of the pastors is like, hey, don't, you probably shouldn't, then don't. They're, they're doing that because they're look, saying, look out. They, they probably know something you don't. So um, we had a fella that was slinking around here one time, and uh, I had like multiple people come to me. The one person knew this person's children, and they're just like, look out, pastor. And then another person says, hey, I had this person doing this and this and this and this, and look out, pastor. And then I had people literally writing me letters from around the metro. Hey, this person did this to me. Look out, pastor. <laughs> you know, so you guys don't know all that. Again, this is also water under the bridge. But when I when I when that stuff starts happening, you know, I, I might literally with this individual I'm talking, to, I literally, I mean, I I literally sat down with them and I said, hey, I was called a spade a spade here, and it was just without blinking an eye, you know, yeah. No problem. That's who I am. You got me. And he still kept slinking around. Oh, yeah. So, guys, I'm just telling you, if, if there's times, you, if, if we as a church, as pastors, say, look, we, know, we love people. <laughs> we love people. But if I'm qualifying it, there's a good reason. And it's not because of my benefit. It's for your benefit. And eventually God proves all that out. I'm only talking about cases that are past tense because everything I mentioned, God has already judged them. And so it's all done and under the bridge now and water under the bridge. So anyway, just 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 want to mention that. Okay, point C, um, leading people because of qualification, right? So we talked about following people with qualification, but leading people because of qualification. If you're in our seven stages of discipleship, as you grow in responsibility, you you get to a place of in your horizontal relationships you're naturally going to lead and so there's some qualifications that need to be in place first of all you need to be faithful to god's word uh, saved and showing it right people need to be faithful to the book to the bible and anyone can say they're they're saved but if a person is walking with god their life will show it because they're walking in the spirit right the fruit of the spirit will be there and there will be fruit in their life and and we know how to measure that from the word of god um, they will obey God's word, and they'll be desirous to learn and share God's words, and they'll honor God's words. They'll be a person that will honor the word of God. That doesn't mean they're sinlessly perfect. That doesn't mean no one's going to bat a thousand. But they're going to. Th- this book is going to be exalted in their life. It's going to be exalted in their lips. It's going to be exalted. This is going to be the authority. Those are people that you can you can trust for leadership. Uh, and there'll be biblical humility, and there'll be biblical charity. Right, so the the word of God will produce a, an, uh, a a humility, or they'll be puffed up with pride. Right, so if they're puffed up with pride, they're disqualified. But humility, charity—that's what Paul said or Peter said in First Peter five. The chief thing for a shepherd is humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt us in due time. Right, humility is part of leadership. If there's if if we as as leaders in the church, your deacons, your pastors, your ministry heads are full of pride. Man, you're in, we're in trouble. Those are disqualified leaders. All the leaders in the church need to be qualified with humility and charity. There must be a supernatural love that God gives us, and and a humility, understanding that it's a privilege to serve, not a not a right. Serving Jesus is not my right; it's a privilege. I get a, it's an opportunity that I get to enjoy. It's not something that I deserve, uh, nor something that that uh, you know. Uh, 
I'm entitled to, right? It's a privilege. And so uh, so that's important that, that biblical leadership understands that because they're faithful to the Word of God. Also, uh, they have the fruit of the Spirit represented in their life 24-7. So not just, so not just Sunday and church events. They'll walk in the Spirit and their family will, will be just as committed to their testimony as their friends and co-workers and church members. And I can't imagine. If Amy knows, like, I am who I am, here, at home, away, what a hypocrite I would be if I'm like one thing up here and then I get home and I'm like, hey, you know, whatever, and I'm some jerk face, you know, which I am sometimes. She sees that, but she's gracious and forgives me. But I'm very, and I honestly, I hope most of the time I'm not that guy. And so, and I don't think I am. So most, the point is, it's 24-7, right? It's not just something you're putting on. It's who you become. You, we follow the Lord. We walk in the Spirit. That's who we are. Um, you know, I just, I've had people years ago, someone here in the church was like, man, Brian, I just want you to get mad and angry. And I'm like, why? They didn't know. Like when I was lost, that's who I was. Why do you want me to walk? That, what you see, the guy who's, who you think is so nice, I'm not that nice. I'm nice now because the Spirit of God is in me. That's the difference. I don't want to walk in the flesh. I don't want to run around here, you know, knocking people around. You know, that's not the way to live life. That's, Jesus took all that. That's a reproach. You know, so you want to be dead to who you were, and you want to be alive in Christ. So when it comes to leadership, there should be that fruit of the Spirit. And you guys know the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I'm not going to read through all that, but... But the fruit of the Spirit, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit, singular, ought to be present in our life. We, ha- we should be patient, we should be long-suffering, we should be gentle, we should, you know, we should, we should have love and joy and peace. And, and uh, you know, I'm missing some right now, but i uh, got them out of order. Run through them for me, Jamie. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance. Against such there is no law. Yeah, so, uh, so those things should be present in our life. You don't have to work them up. You don't have to try. They're there because that's the Spirit of God. It's being yielded to God. Leaders got to be yielded to the Spirit of God so they can have proper horizontal relationships. A bishop or a deacon cannot take the office if their testimony is not solid at home and the church and outside of the church, which I'm even shocked sometimes at the things that I've learned. I, as a pastor, we had a member when she was a little girl. And the true story, her, her father was a deacon, an evangelist. Everybody loved her dad at church. And then she said he would go home and literally threaten them with butcher knives. Yeah. So so bad that she had to flee. Her and her, oh, she was a little girl. Her mom, they had to flee for their life. And, they, and it was a terrible, terrible thing in their life. Baptist deacon, you know. And uh, it's a wonder that woman grew up to be a God-loving woman. But she did, praise, praise God. But, I mean, that's terrible hypocrisy that's the true definition of hypocrisy two-faced that's what hypocrisy means two-faced being something at church then you walk out the door and you're something else well man that disqualifies you as a leader uh you are not qualified at that point if that's the way life you're living and so a bishop or a deacon especially uh, a ministry head doesn't need to be living that lifestyle if they are, they need to either repent, get right, but it needs to be proven. Well, by the way, this is a good time to mention this. We'll be selecting deacons again this coming uh, this coming cycle. So uh, the men that we select as deacons and their wives, not because women, the wives can disqualify the, the husband, the, the men and their wives need to represent, they need to have the fruit of the Spirit in their life. It needs to be not just what they do, but who they are. 
Uh, and, and so just kind of keep that in mind as you select deacons. Say, uh, third thing is they participate in ministry. I don't think I got that one up there, did I? Yeah, I did. No, I don't see the point. But it should be they participate in ministry. Paul mentions uh, that this is, the, the, this is as important for women as well as men lest idle time becomes the devil's playground. There in 1 Timothy 5.13, And with all, uh, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So we need to be, be busy about the business of God in the body of Christ. Men and women are alike can easily disqualify themselves with foolish jesting and imprudent actions and lack of wisdom. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. We like to focus on fornication, but we don't often emphasize uncleanness or covetousness. Uh, Let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither uh, filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which is not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Right? So those are things that he's not, he's really not asking, he's commanding. Be followers of God as dear children, right? We should have a, a, a childlike faith and be sincere in our walk. Walk in love. And you can go through Romans there in, in Ephesians, I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 5, and you can walk in love, walk in light, right? There's all those walking verses there. So it, it tells you how to walk. So important. Um, <clears throat> and that's not just for men. That's women as well. Um, and so someone who cannot control their temper is dangerous and should not be in leadership uh, as well, and that's Proverbs two twenty four. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man, thou shalt not go. What What's the Bible say about that? If you do make friends, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be like them. That's right. That's what goes on to say, lest you be like them. Right? Birds of a feather do flock together. So you don't want to make friends with a furious man, an angry man. A, you know that, why? Because you'll be like them. I've seen mad, independent, fundamental Baptist preachers. I mean, they're so mad, they're spitting mad. You know what? The people in their congregation turn out like them. And I, I was at a, I, I know this sweet brother. He's a sweet, I don't want to say his name. He could be watching that. But there's a sweet brother I know, and he is a sweethearted guy. But he was under this preaching of, of a pastor. This pastor is no longer in the ministry. But anyway, I met him. I won't, I can't, I won't say too many details, but... I was just shocked. I run into this brother, uh, I keep it generic, and, and this, we happened to be talking about praise. And this guy was not particularly super independent fundamental Baptist, you know, but now he'd been in a fundamental Baptist church, which there's nothing wrong with that. We're fundamental Baptists. Of course, most fundamental Baptists won't own us, but that's okay. <clears throat> uh, so so he's, he goes to this church, and man, now all of a sudden, I mean, he doesn't only prefer hymns. He's like spitting mad if you're not listening to hymns and singing hymns only. And it's not just that. He's like telling me about it. This is somewhere within the time we planted this church. I've transitioned over. I'm a little more loosey-goosey because I used to be a hymns-only guy myself. But over time, I, I kind of loosened up on that and, um, and because I was blessed by all the music. And I'm a musical guy. I like it all. And it says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's, no, there's no, nothing there that says hymns-only. And so uh, I just went with the Bible. But this guy was like angry. And it wasn't him. I'm like, man. You know what it was? It was his pastor. His pastor's bad attitude, Baptist, got down to him. His discipleship was working in that church, but it wasn't coming out very good. And man, his attitude was, it was terrible. 
But good news, he recovered. He's, he recovered from that. That took its course. He's a, he's a lovely man today, and that's all water under the bridge. He's not in any of our close circles, so you guys don't know who he is either. But, but man, I, I just it took me back. It also was a warning to me as a pastor, because you guys know I can get pretty fired up. I get passionate about things. But, but God's like, hey, Brian, be careful. You could be that guy's pastor. You could be, I could see a little bit of my, my own self in this guy, because I can get fired up. I can get hateful about some things, and we should hate some things. For sure, we should be passionate about things. There's nothing wrong with that, but you got to be careful that you're. It's not some hobby horse, right? And uh, and that you're and you're becoming legalistic. And so it needs to, you be passionate about the main things and keep it keep it between the white lines. But don't get off on your hobby horse and and start you know preaching preference as though it is the doctrine. And that's basically what it was. And so and and it was ugly. And it came off. It smelled. Um, and so the last thing I think I can be, I can get done in the next minute. All right. So relation to the mission of God and discipleship, we talk about this all the time. We can and should follow those who are following Christ. Obviously that is what discipleship's all about. It is about following Christ with others who want to follow him. So this is what HBF is all about. We are not here to uh, coalesce around, uh, each other, but around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what keeps it balanced. Uh, you know, because you're going to hurt each other's feelings. We're all going to, we're all humans. But at the end of the day, we don't coalesce around our love for each other. I know this is going to sound wrong, but it's right. We coalesce around Christ. And that's what gives us a love for one another. And there's a big difference. It's not just having a familiarity with the people that you go to church with. You can get that at the office. But what we have here is we coalesce around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come here to worship Jesus. You don't come here to worship me. We come here to worship Jesus. When we're singing songs, we're singing songs to Jesus. We're praising, we're praising Jesus. When we're reading the Bible, we're reading Jesus' words. This is about Jesus Christ at this church. And it should be every Bible-believing church. That is what we coalesce around. That is what binds us as a body. When we get up here on Sunday and observe the Lord's Supper, you know what we're doing? We're, we're focusing. It's not this Sunday. It's the next two Sundays from now. My head's already, I'm two weeks out. But anyway, two weeks from now when we do the Lord's Supper, you know what? We're going to be talking about Jesus, his body, his blood. And that's what brings us all together. And in that, it does force us to reckon with our relationships horizontally. And good disciples, right, people who are following Jesus, discipline, right? We learn, we, we teach, and we, we grow forward together. So where are you in your discipleship relationship? Are you unaware of the call to be discipled? In this room, even tonight, or those watching online, maybe you don't even realize you need to be discipled. Now, you can't be discipled if you're not saved, so maybe you've got to back up even one more step and become a born-again Christian. Because we're not here to reform people, we're here to transform people through the Word of God. So uh, maybe you, you don't even know about all that, so you need to start with your relationship with Christ. But if you're saved, you need to be discipled. God's calling you to that. And are, are you aware? But have you, Maybe you're aware, but you've come, you, you haven't come to see it as a priority. Maybe you need to prioritize that in your life. Uh, are you already following as a disciple? I bet if I said, raise your hand if you're already following as a disciple, I think many of you would raise your hand. Maybe some of you are even growing as a leader. Um, and think about, what are some areas that God is growing you in in leadership? Maybe it's not just at church. Maybe it's at work. God, you know, it's interesting how you'll grow here at church and then God will grow you at work and then God will grow you at church. and That's how it works. I know. I've been on both sides of this thing. You know, some of the, I may serve on a board over here and then God says, Brian, I'm doing that so you can help the church over there. 
It's interesting how God just keeps keeps you growing in leadership and, and, and responsibility in your home even. Are you being tried and tested in ministry? That's part of discipleship. Is God testing your mettle? Perhaps you're reevaluating and growing in consecration and you're ready to take on a more dedicated approach to following Christ. This is a great time to do it than you have ever before. Praise God for that. Maybe you need to enroll in HBI or take on the responsibility that's right in front of you that God's calling you to take on. Maybe something you've never conceived before that you would actually do, but you're going to jump out by faith and do it. Man, praise God, you're growing as a leader in discipleship. Perhaps you're ready to answer the call to lead or join a church plant. And we, we could use one in Nevada. Uh, you know, maybe God's calling someone to do that. Perhaps, um, you know, maybe God would say, you know what, you're fully developed, you're, you're ready to disciple others. Maybe you're even ready to, to bear some, some babies and some grandchildren. Maybe you need to go off as a missionary or maybe, you know, a pastor or a church somewhere. Right? You know, those are things that God does naturally through the body, through discipleship. And lastly, we have a relationship. Here we go. Uh, <clears throat> to love God, and that requires evangelism and mission. So a good disciple, good discipleship is good evangelism. And it isn't just local evangelism. It ultimately impacts the world. So we need to be intentional in our gospel outreach. So if our discipleship is stirring our, up our gospel witness, we have failed. If it is not stirring up our gospel witness, we failed in our understanding of God's mission and the fruit that should be produced through our relationship with him and others. So any intentional gospel testimonies uh, are appreciated. Has anybody witnessed anybody this week? Have you shared somebody? Awesome. Who did you talk to? I got a guy who works in various, actually, very important places. Um, and he's been working Uh, did anybody miss that other than online i'm sure sharon couldn't hear it <laughs> all right sorry about that uh so guy's name's garrett he's a young guy he's he just turned 21 um so i was i was working on my bible lesson at work and he comes up to me and he asks if i was a a, a pastor a preacher or a minister he's like, well, he's like what's your title i was like well i don't really have a title i'm like i'm just a follower of christ and uh, it was a clear opportunity to open up the gospel to him, and you know I, you know I asked him if he were to die today, if he knew he was going to spend eternity with in heaven with Jesus, and he's like I, I don't know, and I was like, well, do you want to know? He's like, yeah, I think so, and he, uh, he said him and his wife were actually looking for a church to go to, and they just moved to Harrisonville not too long ago, so I invited him to Heartland and. I was able to share my testimony and the gospel with them, and you know I could tell it was kind of a lot for them. But uh, yeah, I'm praying for them, and I'm hoping I have for another opportunity to to share with them again. And you know, I told him if he has any questions, just ask me. So, yeah, Amen. that's great. good. That's good discipleship. Is good evangelism. So I hope we're gonna have to truncate this because I'm over time. But if you if you are uh, Man, I, well, we can pick it up next week if, on the testimonies, but 
hopefully, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, Chris, because really, our, our, if we're really about a relationship with God, it will affect evangelism and ultimately missions. I mean, we will be about the mission, whether it's here in Cass County, at work, while we're doing a Bible study in our neighborhood. Uh, it'll flow out of us. And you don't have to be scared of that. You don't even have to try too hard. You just have to follow Jesus and be about his business and his word. And God will bring people to you. If you pray, I promise you this. If you pray, like right now, we can pray. God, give us opportunities to share the gospel. He will bring you so many opportunities. And sometimes there'll be like such a wide open door that you'll be like, if I don't take this, I'm going to be so convicted because it's so easy. And uh, I know we all get scared, but man, God makes it oftentimes so easy. And be like Chris. Chris is wise too. He's like, it I was a little much, so he kind of knows. Or there's a little bit where you can share. And you just, when God tells you to shut off the tap, shut off the tap. Go as far as you can. You don't always have to tell him everything you know. You know, just share what God gives you an opportunity. Some sow, some water, right? And then God gets the increase. And so, uh, man, that's a good word. So, um, you know, our relationship to God and others is spiritual. It is directional. And it is transformational. So that's that's what we've learned uh, in this series. And next time we get together, we're going to talk about our identity. It'll be a little bit more personal in regard to uh, some victory that we need to have in our identity with God, one another. And, of course, it still has to do with body life. So let's have a word of prayer. Thank you guys for coming. Let's stand together, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity.